This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hot by with Hutton Withrow underway. The Wednesday edition has arrived. We are glad you're with us. Jack, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Outkick.com slash watch is where you can find us live on demand as well. Full shows. Plus, you can check out everything on demand through the YouTube channel. But for live content, click that watch button. Glad you're here and, and doing that. Chad, uh, speaking of out of the gates, we're seeing a an exodus of sorts down in Tuscaloosa. Kalen DeBoer, the new head coach. Nick Saban is still around the program. One of the first things that uh, DeBoer did was go chat with Saban uh, about advice on how to approach exactly what is going on right now. 27 players, not all since DeBoer has been hired, 27 players since the end of the season have entered the portal. 19 have already landed with another program. And the vast majority, there have been a, a slew of them that have landed with Florida State, Ohio State, and Texas. And DeBoer's in a tough spot because the question about him is, is he going to recruit at that level there? Can he bring what he was doing and recruit at the next level for Alabama? And he's got to start by recruiting his own roster immediately where I'm assuming Washington's not in on the same caliber five-star week in and week out, year in and year out, the way Alabama is. But with Isaiah Bond going to Texas, you have the, a five-star tight end who is bolted. Caleb Downs, defensive back, is landing in Georgia, where uh, Traveris Robinson has also gone, uh, turning down the op- opportunity uh, for a defensive coordinator spot with Bama, with DeBoer. Chad, it's tough, but it's this is a recruiting class, in essence. 27 players. And Alabama's known for having great, great talent. But this is the first massive challenge for DeBoer to go and land a, a recruiting class immediately that's going to help replace what they've lost whenever Saban announced that he was retiring. And even prior to that, there were players that were leaving. Yeah, and we knew job number one for Kalen DeBoer was going to be recruiting the current team and uh, trying to keep as many of the recruits. There was a great recruiting class, another one for Nick Saban in the fold and committed, and that's not happening uh, right now for for Kalen DeBoer in Alabama. Josh Newberg with On3 posted the following, and I I want to get into this also with the timing of this and, and how it's even more detrimental for Alabama. Uh, He writes, transfer portal needs to be fixed. The situation with Alabama will cause change. Bama is penalized because they made the playoffs and Nick Saban retired afterward. The last team to make a change gets shafted in the portal. There's simply no players left in the portal to recruit. Top available players are the ones hitting the portal from Alabama. If Saban retired on December 1st, this wouldn't be happening. Needs to be fixed. Now, he's not wrong in that. Um, No one's going to feel sorry for Alabama and all of this either. And I don't know that pointing out that it's Bama that's having this happen to him. It could have been any other team that played in the playoff. Jim Harbaugh leaves, right? It's going to be the same situation in Michigan possibly where they're late in the game and everyone's transferring somewhere else and they don't have the opportunity to go into the portal and land a bunch of players at that time. So 
I, I, I see the problem here yeah. uh, for Kalen DeBoer, but I think if we went into this, Hutton, thinking this is all about Kalen DeBoer taking what Nick Saban built and just immediately accepting those expectations of a Saban-led Alabama program and winning, that is, to me, the loftiest of goals if you're looking at DeBoer and his tenure at Alabama. The reality of it really is you're losing 27 guys right now. You're going to have to – it's not starting over, but you are going to have to kind of build your own thing too. you got to put your stamp on it. You're going to need to go into the portal at some point later on. I know not, right now is not the ideal time. You're going to need to bring in your type of guys. You're going to need to, in that, in that post-spring window, bring in guys. You're going to have to hit the recruiting trail with your staff also. So I think it's easy to say, well, year one, Alabama set up for success with that team that Nick Saban brought in. He's going to inherit that team. The expectation is to win a national title or be right there in contention all year. Maybe that was a little bit of fool's gold, thinking that was going to be the case and not really understanding the reality of it, which is it's a brand-new coach who didn't know Nick Saban, never met him yeah. before he got the job. So there's going to be some change. It was always going to be change, and the guys on that, sta- on that team, they were going to want to go somewhere else when Nick Saban wasn't coaching them. Completely understandable. Yeah, and uh, you know there was – it wasn't long after the retirement was announced that – we, we knew that Saban was sticking around the program in some element, right, in some role. But I do think if that's out there immediately, that does keep some of these players here. Would it? It would have to. If Saban's still around on a daily basis. I mean, he told one of the players recently, still going to be out there yelling at you, you know? Yeah. Uh, his office has changed. Uh, it's now in the, the, the stadium, I believe, at Bryant-Denny. Point being, though, like, the, the other factor here is, and I, I don't know exactly how this all works, how many analysts do they have behind the scenes in Tuscaloosa? A lot. I called down and I asked about this, and it, the, the assumption is a lot of them will stick around because Saban is sticking around. But, I mean, it, we we hear of, like, triple figures uh, in, in some instances at programs. They, they boast at Florida about this. Bama's got that, too. And I'm curious how that all works when Saban retires and the staff that remains. Is it just business as usual? Because that's an, that's an inheritance for DeBoer that you certainly do not have with the Huskies. That's a huge difference. And how does he use that to his advantage with guys that have been there through Nick Saban? And, um, or, do, or do they just leave? Are they being recruited? I'm still laughing at that. Remember the Florida team photo with all their staffers, <laughs> with the staffers yeah. outnumbered, the players <laughs> in the back, the polo shirts outnumbered, the jerseys in the team photo at, at Florida? I mean, Kalen DeBoer is going to have uh, Dan Mullen on yesterday. I asked him about, was it more Saban or is it more Alabama? Yeah. Right? Is it, or is it just the perfect mix of both? And the first thing that he pointed out was support was the word he used. He said Nick Saban got everything he wanted at Alabama. He got the support of Greg Byrne, who Dan Mullen called maybe the best AD in, in all of sports, college sports. Byrne he notice. gets it. Right. So, he, I mean, he's, he gets the toys that he wants yep. to put out in the tool shed. And he can go play with him whenever, whenever he wants. That, that's what Kalen DeBoer, I, I would expect, is going to get also. The last thing you want, though, and I do not think that Nick Saban would allow this, right? Even Dan Mullen yesterday in our conversation with him talked about, hey, I knew Steve Spurrier was going to have an office when I was there. And he's got a good relationship with Coach Spurrier, and he's a legend at Florida. But that's different for some people coming yeah, in, it is. knowing that you're going to have Steve Spurrier around at all times. 
Here's this uh, photo, by the way, of the Florida staff that uh, makes me laugh every time. So many polo shirts in, in that. <laughs> but the, the polo shirts, that's what – now put Crimson on that. This is what Kalen DeBoer is going to have if he wants. Now, not everyone wants this many people to right. look over and this many people working for them and, and may think something like that is a little bit ridiculous. Kalen DeBoer strikes me as probably one of those guys that would see that photo and say, I don't need that many people. Give me the people I know and trust that are good at what they do, and, and we'll go to work with them. I, I also think he's going to get what he wants, but Nick Saban being around yes. can cause some natural, even if he's not the one orchestrating it, some natural divisions that take place, whether it be boosters, other athletic department staff, where you see the old ball coach hanging around. I'm not talking about Spurrier here. I'm talking about Nick Saban. But you see him hanging around, and people are naturally saying, well, hold on, wait just a minute. This new guy doesn't do things the way Saban did things. And I want a guy who's going to do things exactly the way Saban did, and that can cause a, a riff. Well, it could, it could also cause you know, donors, boosters, whatever, to stay as well. I think that's also key. Yeah. You know, and, and, and same with the staff. I'm talking the, the analysts and everything behind the scenes, the, the non-football coach on the field staff. Uh, on game day. And then, of course, uh, with the players. But there was just a small period of time where it wasn't really known what was going on with Saban. Maybe, maybe internally, I, but it didn't, it didn't come out with the, addressing the team when that report came out that he, he told them they would stick it around. But it was, he was well, pretty I, clear also, with it later. I look at this portal you know, stuff, and this is the time Caden Proctor, the latest name, the five-star offensive tackle. These aren't guys that Alabama's running off. No, there's been years past where they lose guys in the portal because they didn't have an opportunity to play at Alabama and wanted to go somewhere where they could play. That was the bulk of their yeah. portal entries. These are starters. These are guys who are contributors, guys that were going to be big time contributors next year. And look Al where they're going. Alabama fans are starting to learn what it's like to be a college football fan of pretty much any other program. And this is another example of that. We talked about it during the hiring process that lasted 49 hours. They got the guy, they got to their coach quickly in that process. But there's going to be a humbling here of Alabama fans that have only known um, success. I, I think our buddy Josh Pate, I was watching a video with him. He called it a trust fund fans. He said any Alabama fan under the age of 30 is a trust fund fan. And now they're going to finally understand what it's like to root for a college football team that may struggle every so often, may lose three or four games in a given season, may lose guys in the transfer portal. That's what these a lot of Bama fans have never seen if you're a younger Crimson Tide fan. Well, and think about it from the, the Florida State perspective. They have added five former Alabama players already yeah. and counting, I'm presuming. So Norvell, who his name was thrown out there for Alabama, ends up signing the massive contract extension, $10 million plus annually. And he's landing the Alabama recruits and current players that enter the portal, and they're going to play for the Seminoles. That's another statement by FSU because it's Texas, Ohio State, Florida State. Those are the three main programs that are, and Georgia. But well, we're also and, seeing Georgia. And this is usual. not, you know, this is not um, uh, Duquesne and, uh, no. you know, uh, right. Louisiana Lafayette <laughs> that these players are going to to get playing time. That, Every player on Alabama's roster was recruited heavily by Kirby Smart or Mike Norvell or played for Steve Sarkeesian at one point or was recruited by Steve Sarkeesian. This is Texas, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida State we're talking about here. So this has opened up 
a lot of guys to say, I was going there to be coached by a legend. That legend is gone. I really liked ex-coach in the process. Yeah. Or I played for him before or know some guys in that team. No, no now hesitation. I want to go take a swing with that coach and see what we can get done there. I, I understand it. If you're these players, it's just – it's jarring when you see Alabama, the one that's losing yep. 27 players in the portal. Yeah, speaking of Alabama, uh, Nate Oates, head basketball coach, shoving uh, a Missouri player last night who was entering the, the bench, <laughs> the huddle, uh, on the sideline, just but gives him the stiff arm, the forearm, to get him out. It was a very graceful shove, too. Like, he kind of – he flicked the wrist at the end yeah. of it. As he pushed him away, it was one of the more graceful shoves and just to get the guy completely out of the way quickly that I've ever seen. So the initial response, Chad, you and I saw this. Uh, you may or may not have uh, have played this game as if it had already been played. Oh, we, we played it and we lost it. Uh, yeah. That lost a, a four four or five leg parlay for me. It was the one loss. So was that one. initial reaction was, Damn I, you, Missouri. Uh, get, out of, get out of the huddle. Initial reaction for me. Public reprimand has been issued by the SEC. Uh, whatever that means, uh, as a result of o Oates' actions. I mean, you, you have to do that as the Southeastern Conference, any conference. Um, but from the from the perspective of what's going on here, in the heat of the moment, you're getting your guy out of there who's either talking trash or listening in. Uh, Davey, what's the name of the security guard for the, the Eagles? Big, Big Tony? Dom. Big Dom. Big Dom. <laughs> so when Big Dom touched the 49ers player, in the game, right? That was that sparked a big deal. Uh, yep. That's a staff or a security guy on the sideline touching another team's player. It's a no-no. Yeah, you can't do it. It's a no-no. You don't you don't touch. You don't physically make contact if you're a coach with another coach's players. Uh, in fact, I, I growing up, this was always rule of thumb: don't talk to the other team's players in general. That was a big time disrespect thing on any team that I ever played on was. Our coach would say, don't talk to my players. I'll talk to my players. You talk to your players. They don't like other coaches coaching. And that, this, to me, this is coaching, right? Nate Oates is kind of – this is what he would do to his guys in that situation. If they were doing something stupid, he'd shove them away or get them out of a situation, right? You can't do that with, with someone else's players. Also, dude should have been in their huddle. I, I understand yeah, the inclination just to shove him out of the huddle. It's a timeout. Your team is gathering. You're yeah. huddling up. And here comes the opponent into your huddle. I, I saw it, and I said, yeah, I, I get it. I don't know why the Missouri guy's walking into the huddle, and he shoved him away. Can't touch the other team's player, but completely understand why you'd want to shove a guy out of your huddle. Yeah. And, and a public reprimand is nothing, basically. That's, yeah, it's a, it's a warning. It's a violation. We're putting it on the record. Yeah, we've whatever. done something. We don't like it. It's a bad look, but we're not really going to do something. We're just going to put it on record that we don't like it. That's, that's what it is. Chad, uh, 24 hours after Nick Saban retired last week, Bill Belichick was no longer the head coach of the New England Patriots. They introduced the new head coach of the Patriots today, Gerard Mayo, and you listened to some of the press conference, and it ushered in a new era in Foxborough. Well, super impressed uh, by yes. Gerard Mayo and his opening remarks in his press conference. Even more impressed that he calls the billionaire owner Robert Kraft Thunder as his nickname, saying he's a young Thundercat and he's young at heart. And he just referred to him as Thunder throughout the press conference, which was a power move that I was not expecting uh, for the new never coach heard anyone that. to call the owner Thunder throughout, which was, which was incredible. Uh, some big takeaways here. He talked about, I'm going to be my own man. I'm not trying to be Bill. 
I'm not trying to be Coach Belichick. As you can see in this press conference, I'm very different from him. And anyone who's watched the press conference knows and understands very, very different in his approach than, than Bill Belichick. Now, he was also a player who was jokingly referred to as Gerard Belichick because he was so much like the coach as a player and knowing the game plan and how into the details he was a player that they jokingly referred to him as, as Belichick. That's not going to go away with this Patriots team. He talked about we are going to be a game plan oriented club. Offense, defense, special teams. He talked about they're going to hire coordinators and give them titles. Titles are important for his coaches, important in, in any organization, and, and he believes in that. And the big question I come away with when I watch this, Hutton, is, is this a continuation of the Patriot way? Or was the Patriot way always really just the Brady way? And the Brady ways were rubbed off in the locker room more than Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick, mastermind tactician, great defensive coach, good game plan guy, all of those things. But we're going to find out if a guy that was in the locker room playing with Tom Brady and on some great Patriots teams, now that he takes the helm, is it a Patriot way? Was it a Brady way? It's also an opportunity to do things the Steelers way. You got one coach who's just there for 25 years. Gerard Mayo, now the youngest coach in the NFL at 37 years old, Hutton. If he can be successful and be there for a while, suddenly you've got what every organization wants, and that is long-term stability with two guys. When you can hand off one long-term coach to another, if Gerard Mayo is in that seat for a while. Yeah, and you know it's the closest thing you can get to the Patriots way, yeah. based on what they were. I mean. Uh, you could say variable, but you're literally just taking someone on staff and elevating them and, and have a coach in waiting. Uh, and, I mean, he's called Bill at practice because he's so much – he was referred to because of the, the time spent watching film, uh, the time spent at the facility, the dedication, and the results that produced uh, a great career uh, on that Patriots defense. That's what they referred to him, as you, you mentioned, on the practice field. Uh, knowing that, if you're trying to keep that going, he's the closest thing you can have to the greatest coach of all time. Yeah. From, and the, from the mindset and the, the the makeup and model. Now, he's certainly his own he, – he's doing things his own way too. But the Patriot way, to me, happened prior to Brady's way. The, keep in mind, they I mean, they were winning. They still thought about going back to Bledsoe after that, that first postseason. And, uh, of course, they didn't. And they shouldn't have. Uh, great call. But Brady started winning, and the winning happened, and it became what it was. I don't think that happens without both, both guys, Belichick and Brady. And I don't think you could just plug and play and make sure it happens, especially with the way this roster looks right now. I mean, Patriot way, that's, to me, they don't have it right now within the locker room. That's gone. And, and Gerard Mayo pointed that out. He, he talked about, you know, being a gardener and, and letting seeds grow, watering the, the seeds, right? But he said, now we're in the process of planting seeds. And he's saying flat out, this roster is not good enough. Yeah. We got to go acquire better players and, and a better roster. And, and just little things that you would not, little things that are also big things you'd never hear from Bill Belichick in this press conference. Things like, Today's generation, you've got to let them know you care about them as people first before you get the best out of them as players. And that's something that I'm going to do. Him talking about being a, a personal development guy, that he wants to develop the person 
that they have there. These aren't the types of things you'd really hear from Bill Belichick, right? So personality, very different. But Hutton, I do agree fundamentally what every team would love to strive for, right? But accountability, do your job, make sure you're pulling your end of the bargain, and that's going to lift everyone else. All of those fundamentals of what he learned from Bill Belichick and has been passed down to him, Gerard Mayo is going to be the same, same way. Now, he may do it with a smile and a joke, but it's going to be the same expectation for his players and this Patriots team, same as what Bill Belichick would have expected. Here's a portion of what Mayo had to say in the introductory press conference earlier. All right about diversity and inclusion. And you better believe it, being the first black coach here in New England means a lot to me. Um, but those guys taught me you have to take ideas from other people, black, white, green, yellow, really doesn't matter, old, young. One thing you'll notice about me in our interaction as we continue to go is I don't like echo chambers. I want people around me that are going to question my ideas or question the way we have done things in the past. Because realistically, this game's a lot different than when I, when I was drafted in 2008. At the same time, that's why I try to spend so much time in developing young men and young women so they know I don't want to teach them you know, what, what to think. I want to teach them how to think. And once we get to that point, I think we can get back to where we need to be at the top. And I'm an open book. I'm honored. I'm ready to go. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to be the next head coach of the Patriots. There's Gerard Mayo, a uh, portion of what he had to say earlier today in his opening statement. Uh, with, with Mayo, he's not, he doesn't want an echo chamber. A refreshing and, to hear that. Yeah, I mean, most coaches. So, I want guys that will challenge me. He said, I want people around me that's going to question things and challenge me and, and not to have that echo chamber. I, I think that's very forward thinking by him. And, and that is the one, I will say, that that's the total opposite of Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick was extremely isolated. He was a one-man decision maker. He did not bring a lot of people in uh, on his decisions. Uh, He had a small group of people he would talk to about things, but ultimately it was him. Gerard Mayo's talking way more about staff, about collaboration, about being challenged by other guys on staff. That's a departure from the Belichickian way of doing things. Not a departure from the Patriot way. But just Bill Belichick, his own personal management style, very different when you get Gerard Mayo. Yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, who's going to tell Bill Belichick any different than all the Super Bowls that he's winning as head coach? Uh, different now. And I, I, like, I like this, too. and I'm curious how he puts his staff together. Because if it's in his contract that he's – and this was supposed to be, I believe, after the 24 season, after this upcoming season is when he would take over. It happened a year early. But he's had time, Chad, to put a staff together behind the scenes. Um. So he's interviewing certain coordinator options. And he's trying and, to hire an offensive coordinator yeah, right and, now. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about that the time that he's had to think it through. Um, it's different than a first-time head coach that goes to, uh, you know, XYZ. We're going to have a lot of them, by the way, uh, first-time head coaches when it's all said and done with the openings. Uh, but if you're in Carolina or Tennessee or uh, Los Angeles, Seattle, wherever, you've got to put a staff together quick. It'll be, you have to be fast with it. And it's not always the first staff that you end up sticking with. I think with Gerard Mayo, he's got a shot to actually do that because of the planning that went in to him, him being the, the heir to the, the, the Patriots throne. I'm, I'm curious the staff that goes with him compared to the staff that will go with uh, Slowick, 
or any of the other first-time head coaches potentially. Yeah, and one other thing to, that jumped out to me in this press conference that was <clears throat> interesting to me. Yep. <clears throat> excuse me. Is he said we're going to go about doing things the way that we would always be doing them right now, and that is evaluating, getting ready, preparing for the draft, preparing for free agency. And I'm thinking the whole time, well, Robert Kraft has to hire a GM also because they talked about hiring someone to run the front office, right, and be the general manager. Because when you lose Bill Belichick, you lose head coach and GM. They've hired the head coach. But it sounds like they're still going to be doing the prep work, right, with the scouts, with yeah. Mayo, with they coaching staff. They let those guys go for a, a On, on everything else, yeah. I, I, um, that's a big hire, though, right? Not just the guy replacing Bill Belichick, the coach, but – who do they hire to replace Bill Belichick, the GM? And is that person going to be in lockstep with Gerard Mayo? That, that's another thing to watch with well, the Patriots. But they may just elevate. You know, uh, Elliot Wolf is there yeah. uh, behind the scenes. They have Matt Groh, who has also been mentioned. They have a lot of former director of scouting. Well, And that would make sense also because keep in mind what, what Thunder, what Robert Kraft said. He said, the, the best success I've had running multiple businesses in this team is evaluating talent, cultivating that talent, and promoting from within. Yep. Right? That, that you have someone in place that you just know they're going to be the next, they're going to get the next big job. And you promote from within. That's what we did with Gerard Mayo. So, Hutton, what you're saying makes perfect sense yeah. based on how it was laid out by Robert Kraft that they may know full well who's going to get promoted to the head of the front office on, on that side of things. And that person's already in the, the building working on the draft and working on free agency anyways. And they have former general managers. And no, normally, general managers don't get rehired. But Dave Ziegler, who was out in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, John Robinson, who was in Nashville uh, for the Titans. And there are others that have been fired or have left their specific team that you could see back in Foxborough. Because they were all there together in the when, when everything was hitting. Finding the seventh-round pick. You know, having... Matthew Slater, special teams ace, whatever it might be, those guys were there in the thick of it during the draft seasons when they were hitting homers yeah, and not missing layups. But you've also got the guys that have been behind the scenes with Belichick, like Elliot Wolf, who could just be elevated to the main gig. And they would certainly uh, work well with Gerard Mayo. Chad, uh, so transitioning to a new head coach. I'm watching to see what the Chicago Bears are going to be up to because one player that I think needs a, a restart to his career is Justin Fields. And for his sake, I hope he's able to get out of Chicago and that the Bears choose to go the rookie route instead of paying Fields to stay there because I want him to pair up with Jim Harbaugh. And it's not going to be with the Chargers, in my mind. I'm intrigued to see what the Atlanta Falcons are going to do. Because they've met with Bill Belichick and Jim Harbaugh. And go big or go home, baby. Hey, uh, by the guy who came up with the Home Depot. There's no reason, by the way, why, why uh, Fields couldn't flourish in the system because we're witnessing across the playoffs right now quarterbacks that have had a chance to, you know, restart, hit the reset button, and actually get it right. Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield are not playing for the teams that drafted them number one overall. Every other quarterback were not the top choice of quarterbacks in the year they were drafted. Uh, these were players uh, that could look back and see Patrick Mahomes drafted after they were. You've got Sam Darnold, who went before Josh Allen. 
Brock Purdy, of course, the last pick of the draft. But the Niners are fortunate because they got their guy despite whiffing on Trey Lance. Jordan Love, first season after starting and waiting, uh, what, three years. The Packers have won eight of their last 11 games, and they're in the divisional round of the playoffs. Lamar Jackson, about to be a two-time MVP. He's fresh off that massive contract, and he's leading the top seed at Baltimore Ravens. And then C.J. Stroud, who had info leaked that he was too stupid to play quarterback, uh, is now schooling the top defense in the NFL last Saturday after the Texans win the AFC South title in his rookie year. So for every team, you've got to find your QB. But the important part is finding the right one and fostering the right situation. You don't have to pick uh, first, number one overall, to find the best fit. Um, it is about the organizational philosophy, the, 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 the mindset, the goals. What are you looking for? Look at how messed up Bryce Young is right now in Carolina. Look at what Green Bay did with Jordan Love, for instance. And then look around for the worst examples. Coaching changes following or during a quarterback's rookie season. Trevor Lawrence, coaching change after season one. Justin Herbert, Justin Fields, Will Levis, Bryce Young, Tua Tagovailoa. Quarterback play is very up in the air across the league. Um, and it's not all on the quarterback to quote-unquote make the playoffs. But look at the performances by the guys who are still standing. You've either got to have a guy who is battle-tested or a big-game playmaker. And they're paired with a coaching culture that has surrounded them and fostered leadership and other qualities that make them able to go and have a string of games where you can win in different ways. And, and just thinking about what the Falcons have right now. They have the eighth overall pick. And right now, they would we think they would be in range of Michael Pittock Jr., uh, Jaden Daniels, others. But they also have some cap room to work with. And if I'm Jim Harbaugh, and I'm looking at the, the built-in skill sets of the offense right now, Chad, there. Everyone's pointing to the Chargers. I'm considering Atlanta. Stability with ownership. You've got playmakers, and now you need the QB. And if you know you can go out and get a playmaker like Justin Fields, where we have seen Harbaugh win with a skill set that is similar to Justin Fields. He did it with Kaepernick. Went to a Super Bowl. And I'm high on Justin Fields more than most. I think he's extremely talented. And I would, I would take him over the rookie quarterbacks that I'm looking at right now. And Atlanta's back in that prime spot to do it. You want to coach Justin Herbert? Have at it. But if you want to actually mold a roster that's good, they have a good backbone offensively, not great, and actually distribute the football well in that division, I would highly consider what they could do with a trade instead of a draft pick at eighth overall. I, I like where you're going with this. I, I'll say the biggest, to me, selling point in all of this, the, the fields part of it is intriguing. Well, I was just coming up and with I'm, a quarterback I'm at, Yeah, and I'm looking Falcons versus Chargers in terms of open job. Like put Justin Fields there, it's a better job than Desmond Ritter, what, the situation they have. Now. Right, right. Um, ownership is better. Yes. Arthur Blank better than the Spanos family and the situation with the Chargers. So that, that is a big-time selling point. I mean, if, you, if you're going to take one of these jobs and you've got an opportunity at multiple jobs, like Jim Harbaugh and Bill Belichick, two guys who have talked with the Falcons, are likely to have multiple opportunities for a job. The guy who's signing the check or 
gal who's signing the check, the ownership situation, that, that's a big part of it. I mean, that, that's the one person directly over you that you know of when you take that job as the owner, and that's the one who's going to be hiring you. That's the one who could, could be firing you at some point or could be patient with you yep. at some point if things aren't going well. So that, that's a big spot. Arthur Blank, widely respected, widely known as a very good owner. So I, I would put the check mark in the box, the Falcons, on that one over the Chargers. Yeah, and there are a lot of positives with the, with the Chargers too. It just starts with Justin Herbert, no doubt. But you have about 18 roster there, and they've been through the rebuild with the Falcons over the last three years. It was all during the tenure of Arthur Smith. Um, but I'm looking at the like a, a refresh for Fields and a reclaim for Harbaugh in the NFL. And it, Harbaugh's going to have his pick here. Where's Bill Belichick going to go? He's, he's also met with Atlanta. And we still wait on some answer with the Philadelphia Eagles and what's going on in, with the Cowboys. So, um, again, the, the coaching pool right now, if you want to dive in and get your guy, you've got a variety of options. And most teams are going to wait until after this weekend because you can actually interview in person in the divisional round. After the divisional round, you can talk with the coaches that are currently coaching. But anyone can talk with Jim Harbaugh. That's right. Right, because he's yeah. a, a college coach. Yep. So it might have taken that Jim Harbaugh is only interested in Chargers or Falcons because it seems to me – I know the only report out that a team was not going to reach out to was the Titans. They weren't interested in Belichick or Harbaugh. I don't know that any other report has come out that this team is not interested in even talking to Jim Harbaugh. So that, to me, leads me to believe that he's, his agent's probably been contacted yeah. by just about every team to at least have a discussion about it. And he's narrowed it down to two. And maybe there's a third one out there that he's going to visit and interview with also. I mean, it, it also, I think it also pairs with what's going on at general manager, like Terry Fontenot in Atlanta, or in, with the Chargers, you've got an opening there. Yep. You know, so the, the full control, that's why the Titans don't want to talk with those two, because those two are going to want more control than what they're giving Rand Carthon. Uh, what's going to happen with Nick Sirianni? Still waiting on this because they're meeting today uh, in Philadelphia. And Sirianni, at the, the head of the table, he and Howie Roseman, but Sirianni, this is an indictment on leadership, I think, based on how this season turned out. 11 wins, finishing the season 1-6 after starting 10-1. Chad, this... Fell apart. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, the ability to just lead behind the scenes. What happened? What happened to where he had to fire his defensive coordinator, plugs in Matt Patricia, and then they proceed to, on average, allow 30 points per game from then on out. And then you have your quarterback, it hurts, get at the podium and say, there's a commitment issue. You've got to get that fixed after a couple of losses. Where did that turn? Because you start 10-1, and one, and the schedule is what it is. You start 10-1, and one, and then that turns into what it is now where he could be fired. And there are insiders, those that cover the Eagles, who believe he will be, that he'll be let go uh, and, and told to hit it based on what happened. It's, they have legit talent on both sides of the ball. They're also an aging team. And that was, and Jason that was Kelsey's retired. Evident, evident by their defensive play, for sure, especially yeah, in the secondary. I, I, to me, it's as simple as Jeffrey Lurie in this meeting sits Nick Sirianni down and says, hey, Nick, what happened? Yeah. And if that answer is uh, good and sufficient, 
and he gives the reason as to why they're going to improve on it next year and get past it, then I'm keeping Sirianni as my coach. If it's a bumbling attempt at laying blame to a bunch of other people and acting yes. like you don't have right. the solutions and, and putting it off on someone up. else or not having a good answer prepared or not even acting like there is nothing wrong with the one and six finish and the blowout loss in the first round of the playoffs, then you move in a different direction at that point. I, I think the meeting should be very short. I think Jeffrey Lurie needs to get an answer on what his head coach thinks happened, how that head coach is going to fix it moving forward, and if he likes those answers, you keep the guy as coach because he got you to the Super Bowl the year before, and they were a playoff team this year even with the collapse. Yeah, and, and who are you turning to? That's the other thing because the window of opportunity is closing. They've been all in. They've got a lot of money invested across the board. They've been very strategic in how they distribute that money. Look at Hertz's contract and what they move around for the cap. It's great. But it doesn't last long, the, the crack of the door. And are you going to run it back, given the fact that you had the issues behind the scenes that they did? And if they could figure that out, that's a huge win going into the offseason where you've got to make some roster decisions, especially Well, it's defense. also an offseason, a coaching hiring cycle that it's, they're never going to have this level of coaching talent yeah. available and accomplished names and coaches. It's never going to be this good again. When you look at Jim Harbaugh's NFL track record, yeah. Bill Belichick, the, maybe the greatest coach of all time, Mike Vrabel, former NFL coach of the year. Yep. I mean – Pete Carroll, if he wanted to coach again, you know, is another yeah. name that's out there that's won a Super Bowl and been to another one. So th that to me is what could prompt Philly and Jeffrey Lurie if he doesn't like the answer from his head coach of making a move, knowing he can go out and get one of these guys. Coming up, Clay Travis joins us. When we come back, hot by with Hud Whitler rolls on. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Clay Travis will join us in a, a few minutes. Hot my with Hut with Row rolls on here at outkick.com slash watch. Glad you're with us. Chad, uh, when, when Clay joins us, we'll get into snowpocalypse, which uh, is a real thing. He is, he is people, a meteorologist. You know, people that only fall Clay for his political and sports takes yeah. don't know Wait that Clay is take. also a meteorologist, an expert in snow and weather-related yep. issues. Yes. And uh, a, a bit of a biologist when it comes to, uh, or maybe a zoologist. Uh, he's also an expert in animal thunderdomes and what animals would fight other animals Especially and when. So we can get into snow with him. And uh, I, I want to ask him about getting complaints from people from up north about being in the south for a snowstorm. Um, I've, I'm wearing thin with that from people that moved well, down south. Yeah, because uh, the, there's no uh, abundance of snow plows. There's no uh, right. investment in salt for the roads. Just because we don't have snow here that often. And then you're, you're iced in. You're blocked yeah. in. Or if, the fear of it, anyway. If we can get connected with Clay, we'll, we'll ask him about it. If not, we'll uh, have a little NFL overreaction uh, with Davey Hudson also in this segment. We've got, we've got options. 
right? We got options. Just like what Gerard Mayo wants to have with the Patriots, he wants to have options. He wants to have flexibility. He wants to not live in an echo chamber. He wants to get different ideas. He wants to be challenged. That's what we like to do on this show. We like to think on our feet. We like to move quick, move fast over the course of this two hours. So if we need to shift, we will. So looking at the uh, just some, some headlines across the league, still waiting uh, to, to see what happens in Dallas officially or what's going to happen in Philadelphia uh, with Sirianna meeting with the team. I think though some of the some of these decisions in the past would have been it, it, it would it, the news would be out in a more rapid pace at least I believe that because the 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 timeline has flipped where they've pushed back the in person interviews till after this weekend so what would have been a, a crazy schedule um, has now been pushed back to a, a deeper part of the postseason where it gives all the teams and all the candidates a chance to you know, make the rounds. In theory, that's what they're, they're setting up. I think that's also why, if you're Dallas, if you're Philly, you can sit back and actually not make an emotional decision as much as analytical. Yeah, I, I, I don't um, know if I like this timeline, though. There's a lot of Zoom meetings, but if you're, if you're coaching right now, you can't join a Zoom meeting with another team, but you can if you're not in, in the playoffs right now. It's, I don't know. I don't understand that aspect of it. Yeah, I... I I'm really wondering what Jerry Jones is waiting on. Yeah, I guess it's to not act rash, to give it a few days, and not let emotion be his guiding light in this. Coming off that loss, what was the word he used? Jarring. You know, he used a word a bunch about how just stunned they were with that outcome, and how no one was expecting that in that game against the Packers. I, I certainly wasn't expecting it. So maybe he's allowing that jarring feeling to subside to where he can go and make a, a more rational decision on his head coach. Probably the smart way to do it, but I, I'm kind of with you, Hutton, on this this timeline. If you're going to get in the sweepstakes of all of these big-name coaches with huge yep. resumes, you better make a decision on your current head coach quick. Clay Travis joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow here at Outkick.com. Clay, uh, we were trying to describe Snowpocalypse and, and your uh, meteorology uh, background and what has happened across the mid-state And zoology here. background zoology, with animal yeah, thunderdomes well. and weather. It is hit. Uh, how Are you snowed in? We can't hear Clay. Uh, and sorry, are you guys with yeah, me? We got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I, we're not really snowed in. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of snow here, but uh, Laura's from Michigan, so uh, <laughs> she finds uh, – the, the failure of Tennesseans to drive in snow to be fairly uh, indefensible. And to be honest, um, I was out in Park City for an actual blizzard um, a couple last, uh, last, uh, last time about this, uh, this time of year during the New Year holiday. And I drove all over the place. So I haven't gone anywhere just because I haven't needed to go anywhere. Yeah. The boys are here. They've been running around uh, sledding and having fun uh, all over the place. But, uh, but I don't feel like I'm snowed in. Like, I feel like if I needed to go somewhere, I could. I, I laugh, Clay, at uh, we got in this conversation with our, with our guy Guns recently uh, about, you know, he's complaining that his favorite restaurant wasn't open on Monday, <laughs> so he couldn't go get something to eat. And he's like, what's up with you Southerners and, and snow? And I, I tell him, I'm like, look, you move from a place that you say is crime infested and you don't have freedoms and there's vaccine mandates and mass mandates to come to the South and this, you know, freedom-loving area with better tax rates and everything else, the one sacrifice you can make <laughs> is that you might be inconvenienced one or two days a year when we actually get snowfall. Uh, so that, yeah, I think that's an I, easy I price to pay. Also, 
we also, uh, in particular in this area, are really on the line between usually now it's super cold right now, like it's zero, like uh, there are major, uh, major issues with uh, with warmth, all that. That's relatively rare. Usually Nashville is like the king of it's either going to be 34 degrees and super cold and raining or it's going to be like 32 degrees and start off as ice and then turn into snow. Like we're rarely cold enough when it rains or snows where it's like, oh, definitely going to be snow. It's always like right on that line. It starts off as rain, then it turns into freezing rain, then it turns into sleep and it turns into snow. So ice is pretty is pretty tough, and we get a lot of ice here, which I would say is why maybe more than most people are apprehensive about uh, about weather. Um, plus, it's really hilly, um, and and so that combo in the Nashville area uh, has everybody terrified. Clay, we know that Jim Harbaugh has spoken with the Chargers and the Falcons about their head coaching vacancy. I would assume he's got other options, but he's narrowing them down to the ones that he wants to talk to and get serious about. If you're Jim Harbaugh, what is the best spot for you to be the next head coach in the NFL? I think it's undoubtedly the Chargers because they have a really good quarterback uh, in Justin Herbert. And I think if you're interviewing with multiple NFL teams, you probably want to go to the NFL um, and are looking for a reason why you would go. Uh, you know, the, 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 obviously the Falcons are in a, in a position where they can go out and, and maybe get somebody better than Desmond Ritter. I don't think most people think Desmond Ritter's the future of that franchise, but if I had a choice between knowing there's already a stud quarterback there or trying to go find a stud quarterback, I would much rather take the team with the stud. And, uh, I think Justin Herbert's top 10 quarterback. Um, and so to me, it's a no brainer. Not to mention he's already lived and had success in California before. Not that it matters that much, uh, but L.A. is a pretty tough place to be, to leave, to live. Um, he already had success at San Diego. He already had success in San Francisco with the 49ers. I would think his family is familiar with what it's like to live there. Um, and uh, given the amount that are leaving, including J.J. McCarthy, his quarterback, if you were going to leave, I think now is the time to ride off into the sunset and go pursue a, uh, a Super Bowl. I think I'm correct. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. I think only three guys have won a Super Bowl and have won a national championship. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll, and Barry Switzer. I think I'm correct in that. Yeah, um, I think you are too. Yeah. Uh, so he could be the fourth to do that. Uh, he's already a legend now in uh, in Michigan, having won three straight over Jim uh, uh, over Ohio State over Ryan Day, um, and so uh, so I think now is the time to go, and I think the Chargers is the best job. Clay, you were on with us when the Nick Saban retirement news broke uh, on that day on the show. We haven't had a chance to talk to you yet about Kalen DeBoer being the hire at Alabama. What do you make of the hire, and do you really think this was Alabama's first choice? Or do you think they got word that Dan Lanning and Steve Sarkeesian, they weren't interested, and eventually it fell down to, De- to DeBoer? I don't think that you necessarily have them ranked. Um, the, the way this thing works is you have third parties make inquiries, and I don't think you're making the order inquiry one after the other. I think you're gauging initial uh, interest levels and then progressing from there. So I think probably – uh, there was interest in Dan Lanning. There was interest in probably Steve Sarkeesian. There was interest in 
uh, Mike Norvell, and Jimmy Sexton's smart, and he can play that into a contract raise. And uh, and Kalen DeBoer was the guy who wanted to actually go through with the uh, the wedding, right? Uh, so I think you make smart, strategic decisions, find out who's in play, who's not. I don't know how detailed those negotiations would have gotten before those guys left. Um, I think if it comes down to dollar figures, Alabama could probably afford to play it, pay enough. But I was just talking about this on OutKick, and we just had Tommy Tuberville on the show uh, on Clay and Buck. Look. Alabama won one national championship in 30 years, basically, between 1980 and 2009. Um, And I don't think it's Alabama. I think you have to talk about it as a Nick Saban dynasty. I think Nick Saban could have done what he did at Alabama at seven, eight, ten different college football jobs. And he happened to Alabama's good fortune to do it at Alabama. They deserve some credit. But I think what Alabama fans are going to find out in a hurry is, again, this was the Nick Saban dynasty, not the Alabama dynasty. And I think they're starting to come to grips with that now uh, because you're seeing, um, you know, the challenges of the transfer portal, uh, the maniacal focus that Nick Saban had when it came to recruiting. I think you're seeing that Alabama's not necessarily head and shoulders or even even with a lot of other schools when it comes to NIL, which I think is one reason Nick Saban decided to leave. Uh, Other schools have more money to spend uh, and maybe players were willing to take discounts to go to Alabama because they were being smart and recognizing that the real money doesn't come from NIL. It comes from being a first round pick. And if Nick Saban can help you to make that happen as he made it happen for 44 players during his tenure, that's the life changing money. Uh, The money that you get for NIL, even if it's substantial, is not life-changing almost for anyone. Uh, You can't live on that for the rest of your life without having a job. Uh, Life-changing money is I don't have to work anymore. That's where you get first-round NFL draft pick money. That doesn't exist anymore. So I think Alabama fans are going to have to come to grips with that. I was looking at the over-under numbers. Alabama's over-under now is 9.5 for win totals. That's the lowest I can remember seeing it ever. That And the money is juiced on the under, which would suggest that Alabama is going to go nine and three. Uh, I don't think they're going to have number one recruiting classes anymore. I think they'll have top 10 recruiting classes. That's still good, but it's the difference between great and good. I think Alabama is going to have to learn what it's like to merely be good. Um, and I think their fan base is going to have a really difficult time of it. Clay, NBC Universal paid the NFL $110 million to air an exclusive playoff game on Peacock this past weekend. They say 23 million viewers tuned in for this, up 6% from last year whenever they were streaming their playoff game. And I found this very surprising. I don't know if you will, but the the, uh, front office sports conducted a Harris poll. And a majority of potential viewers are okay with Peacock or any other streamer airing a game like the Chiefs and Dolphins to the point where roughly three in five NFL fans, two in five U.S. adults said they would likely pay for a subscription to a streaming service in order to watch an NFL playoff game. Where are we headed with this and how many streaming services are eventually going to get their hands on an exclusive playoff game? Well, I think it's a test because I think it's not crazy to believe that in a decade from now, the Super Bowl could be on pay-per-view. And I think this is an easy way for the NFL to test and begin to set the market for the ability to do that. Um, I I don't think it's crazy at all to think that in a decade, Netflix or Amazon or Peacock or 
some other uh, yet-to-be-named streaming service uh, could make the decision to put on the Super Bowl. And if the NFL is setting the precedent that you have to pay $6 for a, uh, uh, for a playoff game, and by the way, the value on that is not just the $6, it's the number of people who sign up for streaming services and don't even know that they're signed up yep. and keep paying you know, $6 a month or whatever Peacock costs for the next three years before they take the time to notice that they've been getting charged on their credit card, right? Once they get your credit card, it takes a lot of effort to get things turned off. Um, and so that's the play, right? Uh, I bet the average person who signs up for a streaming service stays committed to a streaming service for a year or more before they take the time to take it off. Um, so I think it's a test. And my big thing, and, and I was tweeting about this and I talked about it on, on my shows, I don't think you should have to pay uh, for a streaming program and get television commercials included as well. So my big thing is if you're going to make me pay, like I watched Crocodile Dundee, fantastic, last night with my kids uh, in the oh, house. That's a, a classic. No television- oh, yeah. I hadn't watched this it probably in 30 years. They, they loved it. It <laughs> was very well done. Yeah, that's not a knife. Right. Um, that's a knife. But, the, uh, but you don't have to have commercials. Right. Um, And if I'm paying for some movie direct, I'm choosing not to pay for commercials. Like there's no if you want to pay less and get Netflix with commercials, which the vast majority of people don't, um, I would be fine paying for games on streaming services if an hour of the game got cut out and there were no commercial. Well, there's too many other broadcasts, though. There's too many other broadcasts. There's too many other broadcasts affiliated with the game. For them not to air well, commercials. Well, I think it's, I, I think at, at some point, um, first of all, then change the dynamic, right? The whole reason for television commercials is because the idea is you get to watch or listen to the game for free, right? And as a result, we're going to put television commercials in, or we're going to put radio commercials in. I totally get that. If that's the business imperative, if that's how the money is paid, then fans are, you know, that's a bargain you're getting into. But you don't have to pay uh, for streaming services and get commercials when you're paying for anything else. I'm fine if they want to do, you know, interstitials, like put up logos on the screen, have reads from Mike Tirico or whoever's calling the game. That's fine. But I think fans should should push back against the idea that now you get to double dip. You're going to make us pay for the game and you're going to continue to advertise that doesn't feel fair to me. That feels like a broken uh, contract between fan and, uh, and, and game. Clay, the last time we saw the uh, NFL ratings really take a hit was 2016. And that was in the midst of Colin Kaepernick, but it was also in the midst of uh, a, a well-watched election cycle uh, with Donald Trump. 2020 was 2020. It was a mess throughout. So that's a little bit of an outlier. 2024 now, uh, another election year. How do you see this election affecting, impacting football ratings, if at all? I, well, first of all, and somebody needs to, to look at the, the data, the out-of-home viewing is a huge part of all rating successes that no one understands or will talk about. All sporting events basically are getting around a 10% bump compared to in prior years, uh, because now all of the, let's say, sports bar community 
uh, you know, gyms, if the audio is playing, wherever you're watching out of home now counts. So every time you used to watch, you know, uh, you walk into a crowded sports bar with a buddy to watch a game, you weren't counting as part of the viewership for most of our lives. I believe in like 2021 or thereabouts, you guys can look it up when Nielsen started to count out of home viewing. It means that everybody's getting like a 10% boost. So you're getting now in numbers that are coming out for 2023, you're not comparing apples with apples because uh, that number was not the same prior, right? So they're it was getting a sugar high now. 2019. Okay. Uh, but it actually began, they announced it in 2019. It began in 2020. Reading this now. Okay. So you're getting a sugar high over the past few years of, oh, more people are watching. Now you're only starting to compare three or four years in a similar process. I would expect that numbers will dip. Um, as you mentioned, in 2020, it's not a fair approximation because yeah. that was a COVID year. And, uh, and a lot of people were stuck at home and numbers did what they did. There were no crowds watching the games, uh, in many places. It was super strange. Traditionally election years news takes away some of the viewership. And I would expect that will be the case in September and October of, uh, 24. Clay, always great to catch up, man. We appreciate the time and we'll, uh, we'll see you soon. Sounds good. See y'all. Yep. Thanks, Clay. Uh, the whole model for the the pay-per-view Super Bowl, let's get into that because there's a big ESPN and the NFL, of course, the NFL's buying in uh, to ESPN. And you will have NFL Plus, NFL Network, uh, Red Zone. They will acquire all that. And to me, the NFL will have the international games will be on that service. And that, to me, is the streaming service for where we're well, headed with this. It's, it's, it's fascinating because, I mean, and people are going to hate it, and it's another way to get at people's checking account. Yep. But who wouldn't pay 15 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever the price is to watch the Super Bowl in right. your own home? And ESPN almost, wants almost a direct... Almost everyone is going to do that. They're trying to build a direct-to-consumer model, and they're, they're going to use the NFL to do it. I mean, in the amount of money, you're printing money at that point. Yeah. If you think about every home in the United States that's going to have a gathering or just watch their family that pays, if it's $10, if it's $20, whatever the cost is, to get that one game, think about the money involved with that. Crazy. Profit. Profit in a year, which is crazy to think about. Goodell has a goal, and the owners, of $25 billion. And they have, uh, as of 2022... They were at $22 billion. They are very close to their goal that they set several years ago. If they want to reach that goal, they just make the Super Bowl pay-per-view. They'd probably get right there. We've got headlines uh, straight ahead. Uh, plus, Dan Dockett joins us on Hot Mike. 